0: This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Leicestershire County Cricket Coach Dave Whitmore. He discusses some of the traditional challenges coaching cricket in the UK, how they challenge scenario-based coaching when indoors, as well as developing leaders and captains on the pitch and trying to enhance their cricket IQ. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Um, Thank you very much for jumping on. I said, um, I know that we've gone back and forth a little bit trying to get something in the diary and stuff. But yeah, really excited to have you on. Granted, not (laughs) under amazing circumstances with the current performances of the England cricket team but <laughs> it's one of those things where I think we've been spoiled recently with how well we've done but yeah first of all how are things how are you?
1: Yeah very good thank you uh, we're just obviously sort of in our off season now so just a quiet couple of weeks managed to get away for a week um, before we then get back into the winter stuff starting uh, from next week.
0: Awesome. So I think people probably would have gathered that it's cricket that we're talking about from my, my intro there. But do you want to, um, I guess, give us a bit of an overview of, of who you are, what you do, I guess, in a whistle-stop tour of how you got to that point? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I suppose starting from where I am at the minute, I'm currently at uh, Leicester County Cricket Club, uh, working on the pathway and academy. Um, predominantly, I'm, I'm head coach of the under-14s and 15s. Uh, but work a lot with the scene bowlers as well as then assisting all the other age groups and, and the professional stuff when needed as well. Um, how I got there, uh, I suppose it depends how on long, how long we've got. Um, growing up, always interested in sport, very sort of sporty family. And growing up in, in Leicester, it's it's quite a sporty city and county. So there was plenty of options to, to get involved with, whether it be football, cricket, rugby... Never quite had the hype for basketball. Um, but yeah, the loads of stuff that we just we just play all the time and and naturally sort of cricket started to take over for me. Um playing wise, I, I sort of got into the Leicestershire setup. Um and then at 18 wasn't wasn't good enough to really get any further. So I then went off to university in Leeds. Um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the sort of cricket environment around universities there's, there's quite strong cricket programs in a lot of the universities Um just part of aiding player development I suppose giving players opportunities if they even if they have signed professional contracts excuse me to go off and get an education and so I sort of went off there but with the view of potentially going into PE teaching and and then my coach up there at the time he he called me in for a chat and says look I'm um, I'm leaving the programme, I'm going down to Leicestershire to oversee the, the pathway down there. Um, and I've done a couple of my coaching badges and he said, do, do you fancy getting involved? So I came back in the summer, got involved and, and really enjoyed it. So much so that sort of parked the, the teaching priority, I would say, um, and sort of came out of university thinking, I want to give coaching a real crack. Um, obviously, the, the issues, I suppose, as a, as a young coach is sort of getting enough work to to get yourself through so i i did a few of the bits and bobs at the time still going into schools and and predominantly doing sport but i went into a wide variety of, of schools whether it be sort of primary schools secondary schools um disability schools and i was able to build the coaching alongside this and, and gradually got more and more coaching work with leicestershire um, to a point where they says, "Look, we we want to offer you a full time job, um, in the pathway." So, I've been there now full time, probably about seven or eight years, twelve years in total, um, and and sort of in that seven or eight years, I've done a variety of roles due to the sort of quick changing environment that cricket is at the minute, um, and also being at Leicester, the club that I am, we've probably not had great successes on the pitch, which has led to a lot of turnover of staff, um, which obviously has its difficulties. But for me, it's been really beneficial to experience a lot of different cultures and a lot of different coaches and work with a lot of different coaches in the same environment that I I am in. Um, so I've sort of got the, the benefits of going to a variety of different settings while staying in the same place, I would say.
0: No, uh, I think that's a, a, a real nice uh, journey that you've obviously taken us on there. The first question for me, off the back of that, is which you mentioned around having loads of different people come in and ways of working and stuff. Is there any, I guess, one particular idea or way of working that challenged you or what you thought previously, and you thought actually this is an amazing idea? Why haven't I been doing this previously?
1: Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say. There, there was one idea. I, I think there, there was one coach who, who came in a guy called Alistair Maiden who's now, now up at Yorkshire um, and he, he really challenged me as a coach which I thought was was really beneficial to me in terms of I sort of had the mindset that I hadn't played professional cricket. I wanted to make sure I was really good at, at working with players in the in the pathway um, environment but he really challenged me to try and look to, to push myself higher up and go into... The professional ranks as well and, and try and really work hard in that Um so he, he changed a lot in me as a coach and challenged me a lot um, in terms of specific ideas it, it, it's it's nice in a way that you you've got lots of different people had different ideas but I think the core principles are still the same and I think it's it's quite good to see a lot of the core principles even in sort of your, your older style coaches and and your more, more modern day thinking ones the core stuff is is pretty similar um and i think really focusing on that and making sure you've got the the basic ideas right and then you can add little bits on onto it I, I think a lot of coaches get carried away in trying to make sort of the 1% right or focusing on the on the little 1% percenters, whereas they haven't got the 10 20% elements in in a good position so i think making sure them bits are, are looking after themselves and then you can add the little bits onto it as well
0: yeah, I think the environmental piece is, is an interesting one. and I guess something that fascinates me with with cricket is it's so, like, coaches obviously have a role to play, but also you've got a captain, which is really, really paramount to so the way yes. the team works. And you look at, you know, Owen Morgan, what he did with the white ball team, and you look at... Um, ben Stokes and the way he's captaining the, the test team now and stuff and because they're on the field and having to make decisions and make tweaks and stuff it's quite a I'd say unique blend of mm. how staff have to integrate with, with players.
1: Yeah I agree and, and I think the, the certainly the, the test team environment at the minute so with with Stokes and McCullough a lot of people just think it is aggressive batting and and just going out there and and just being ultra positive. but for me as a coach, I look at it and I go it's a phenomenal bit of work from the from the pair of them to create this environment which you go on various courses and and the psychology psychological side of it they talk about giving players the freedom to to go out and express themselves and 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 they've created that in such a short space of time and i think that is the the most impressive part of it because especially sort of with an summer and and india being one of the main teams that played early on as well there's a lot of pressure on those series and and to and to encourage players like joe root to go and do reverse scoops and and shots like that and uh, it's stuff that yes they might get a bit of stick for if it goes wrong but they've given the players full freedom to go out and and do that and say if it doesn't come off then so be it which i think is a real unique place to there's not many teams that, i think certainly in cricket who have got themselves into that position and, and that mindset of the way they want to play whichever way it is just fully committing and, and not worrying about the consequences of it
0: do you have any insight into how they've done that
1: no i've i've sort of picked a little bit at certain people i know um But I I think it is just, I think they're very fortunate with the group of players that they've got in terms of someone like a Joe Root, for example. He's got a lot of credit in the bank of what he's done in previous performances. So if he does get out playing that reverse scoop, they're not going to be calling for him to be dropped just as a result of that. So I think they're fortunate with the players that they've got. But uh, from what I gather, it's just a very relaxed atmosphere around the training environment. uh, And they're they're fully backing players who are in in situ at the minute in the team and go, look, you're going to get an extended run and give it a good crack.
0: Yeah, and I think Zach Cawley is an interesting one of that, right? Like everyone's saying about him nicking off on outside off sump and and whatnot. But they've kind of been really vehement of the fact, like we're asking him to do this. Yeah, you know we're asking him to play this way, so we can't ask him to play that way and then get frustrated when he gets out playing it. Yeah, Um, and so I think he's a really fascinating one. And like for me, I'm I grew up in Hampshire. James Vince, I think, would have been a really nice example of this like six or seven years ago, because if there had been, I think that was the way James Vince got out, and everyone knew Mm -hmm. basically he's going to nick outside off at some point, but it just depends how many runs he gets before then. And Mm -hmm. I just think and wonder if he'd had someone like that, that was just really like, listen, it's cool, that's the way you're going to get out, but just stick with it, you'll get some runs, how maybe his career might have changed slightly in terms of the way that way that it's gone in international recognitions etc
1: yeah I think it would have been fascinating I mean that's a great example of it as well the one that you just mentioned
0: so in terms of like Leicestershire and stuff you you mentioned I guess you've had some challenging times in terms of success on the pitch and whatnot Mm -hmm. what I guess as a club has that been put down to is it is it pathway stuff? Is it players leaving? Is it just turnover stuff? Is there any anything that I guess generically people think? Oh yeah, this is the reason why.
1: Um, I, I might be might be a bit biased in my my thinking here, but I think I think the pathway element is actually it's done reasonably well, and, and because of the turnover of players and turnover of staff, we've had the the pathway players, the academy players, have actually had opportunities to get into the team, and, and what was really nice. For us, as staff, over sort of the past twelve months, we've had Rohan Ahmed, um, who's gone on to be England's youngest ever Test player, and and done extremely well there, um, coming out of our academy. But also, we won the One Day Cup in the in the summer, and sort of the players who played real important roles in that final were all players who had come through the the pathway. So that was sort of really rewarding for us. But clubs like us are always going to have challenges financially, I think, um, in terms of we can spend time producing these players or bringing players in, but it's not like football where if they do well and go somewhere else, you then get money back in as a result of that. So you always have that challenge. Um, And like I said, I think the the turnover of staff has always been pretty difficult. Again, if, if we're doing well in certain areas... Coaches get earmarked to go into to different areas uh, or different clubs or different environments. So that has been a challenge, um, but it's it was starting to get a bit of stability now, and I, and I think that's starting to show in results both on and off the field with where we're at as a club. So I think it's all moving in the right direction. It's just fingers crossed we can we can keep it going that way.
0: Imagine geographically you're in a challenging situation as well, right? Like If, if you're a Somerset boy, for example, and you, you're playing down in Somerset and you live Taunton, mm-hmm. if you get an offer from Nottingham, Nottinghamshire or Lancashire, you're thinking that is a long move to move my entire family all the way up and stuff. Whereas for you guys, you kind of are in a position potentially to get picked off at the north and yeah. at the south, so it kind of opens up. number of teams that are around kind of sniffing your players because they're they're in a radius where they might be able to make that shift
1: oh yeah and and it's not it's not just cricket as well like we're in a place where you've got within the space of a very small radius of miles that you've got a Premier League football well not Premier League football anymore but hopefully next year Premier League will be a basketball team that's really successful so we've had lads um, who have gone on and even represented sort of regional cricket under 15s and then drop out of our system at 16 to pursue a career in football or rugby and, and thankfully most of them have gone on to to be professional in that area for at least a little bit and there's a couple of couple of lads now who are in the Tigers um, books and that is also a challenge that we have is losing players to other sports as well as other counties as well. Yeah,
0: it's an interesting one. Oh, i I guess from a football perspective, I'm quite fortunate we don't get too much of that. People normally Mm -hmm. kind of stick at it. I've I've worked the Saints for over 10 years. I've only had one player that's kind of left to go and pick up another sport. Mm. Um, So yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, In terms of, I guess, that pathway, you mentioned that you've had quite a lot of success recently. I guess two questions for me is, one, what what do, what values, what uh, abilities, what what core beliefs do, does your pathway have to try and help these players on their journey? And then the second one off the back of that is with your high performing, high potential players, however you want to categorise it, mm-hmm. what work do you guys do to kind of provide them with stretch to say, okay, we're going to you know, give them opportunities or we're going to try and put them out of their comfort zone. Yeah, what work do you do in that space?
1: Yeah, so I suppose answering, answering the first one, I, I think if I look at sort of the age groups that I work with the 14s and the, and the 15s. So the 14s we very much see as a developmental age group and a transitional age group because it's it's where it starts to turn from boys' cricket to men's cricket in certain aspects of the way it's played. So uh, all of a sudden the bowling starts to pick up a little bit in terms of pace. You get challenged a bit more in the back foot. Um, players can start, batters can start hitting it out of the park once they start getting to 14, 15. Um, so it's a very much a, a development age group in terms of managing players through that transition. Also, as they are 14-year-olds, there's a lot of other stuff going on with them, and physically, emotionally, so, so managing them through that um, and and exposing them to different situations. So, for example, we had a, a player this year who'd he, probably go on to be an opening batsman, but... He might not, when he first goes into the into professional second-team cricket, first-team cricket, hopefully if he gets there, get the opportunity to open the baton straight away because there's already professional players in situ there. So he might have to go in and bat five or six. So we do a lot of sort of exposure to different roles and environments for the players of that age group so that hopefully when they go into the professional ranks, they've got at least a little bit of experience of different situations and can fall back on that rather than just pick our best team to win games of cricket, which some counties do. um, That's their prerogative on on how they want to do their their pathway. But certainly at the 14s age group, we focus on putting players under pressure, exposure to different environments and, and seeing how they go with that. But also when we know we're putting them in an area of sort of uncomfortable situations, we've got to make sure we've got the comfort blanket of them afterwards to review it and, and hopefully make it a positive experience, rather than if they come back thinking, oh, no, I definitely can't bat at number five or six, we, That's then we've had a, a, a sort of a negative impact on it. So we've got to make sure that we manage that well. Fifteens, um, we start to, like I said, transition into men's cricket and put a little bit more emphasis on on performance, um, but there still is that element of rotating it around a little bit and exposure to different roles before we then gradually start to push up um, to a bit more... Uh, specific roles when they get to 17, 18 because players naturally find their way into them sort of roles anyway. Um what was the second part of the question? Sorry? Challenging the better players, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, so the second part of the question was around what do you do for those high performing players to to challenge them in, in
1: so, so with my age group one of the 15s, that's when they first get introduced to regional cricket. So that straight away is an, an area with with the ECB um, the better players will get challenged in the best of the best over terms of the country, but we communicate a lot with with the ECB on on the players we want to put into that environment and feedback on how that how they also get on in, in them environments too. Um, we've pushed lads up at times to train with different age groups, uh, especially when they get older, get introduced to being around the professional um, environment. Um, and, like I said, creating different situations in games where they are put out of their comfort zone and put into different roles, um, whether that might be sometimes we have some real good players who are very big introverts, right? Actually, we'll, we'll make you captain for a couple of games and see how you go there. So you're developing their leadership skills as well. So it, 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 there's no set way, I would say. I think it's it's dependent on the individual and where they are at. Uh, with their, yes, they may be better players, but if they're physically quite small, for example, sometimes going up might have a bit of a detrimental effect. So can we find more challenges for them at their own age group? Or if they are physically a bit further advanced, we, we'll push them up and, and challenge their skill levels a little bit more.
0: And you get, I have to excuse me because I can't remember the player's name, but you mentioned around the, the young man, I guess he is, who's gone on to play for England. Uh, yes, Rohan. An incredibly young age what along his pathway prepared him to be able to make that jump at such an early
1: age? Um, it's, it's a difficult one because I, th- I think with, with certain players like that who had the amount of talent and skill that he did have at that young age, I think he would always have found his way into a professional environment just on that alone if that makes sense. So He'd, he'd have got his foot in the door. So it was more a case of us preparing him um with support around him, um again, challenging him on, on certain aspects and and he'd almost have to have at times a little bit of a unique program because you, he'd he'd find certain things quite easy. So how do we challenge him on that or or ensure that he's not getting bored doing them things really well? How do we ensure that he continues to perform at a high level consistently? Um and like I said we we had a good feeling he'd get into get into a professional environment and then some of it would be on him but we certainly didn't expect him to be where he is right now as early as he has been um, but I think it's predominantly around the support around and making sure he's got the right people he's, he's fortunate that he comes from a, a really good family who support him his dad in particular um and he's got two brothers who are who are very talented cricketers as well. So it was a case of managing, helping the family um and providing that support network in and around his cricket, as well as obviously the cricket development too as well. Yeah, it always
0: helps having siblings, right? I think yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> everyone yeah. says about that one, which is an interesting interesting piece. And I guess from a from from you, from a coaching perspective, and you've got someone who's you know incredibly capable. Or it's got high levels of skill or talent or however you want to you want to frame it. How does that challenge you as a coach? Because I'd imagine it's pretty easy just to send him out and go, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing, and yeah. like him having some success. But you also don't want to overcoach him where you ruin him. Because no. I, I say sometimes of those players that actually you need them to be able to kind of do what they do, and you it, you the. Moments of the interventions are probably more powerful than the quantity of them. So yeah. how did how did you manage that in terms of figuring out what he actually needs to to allow him to make those steps, but also figuring out there's an element to this where I've just got to let him be and, and and work through whatever he's going through.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a variety of things that come into play. I think we're, we're very fortunate with the team that we've got in terms of coaching. Um, that there are people who have probably different personalities who you can call on it if for certain interventions, if that makes sense. So coming from one coach, it might have a bit more oomph than another coach in a, in a certain area of, of of whether it be his batting or his bowling or his or his character. It's it's utilising that as a team. I think that's really important, Um and I think getting to know him as an individual as well, working out how to how to challenge him in different aspects. What, 'cause cause sometimes he, he might go the other way and try and if he's struggling with something, almost try and show off. And and this isn't just, just Rohan. I think I've seen him with a few players who try and cover it by by going the other extreme and try and almost show off a little bit and then they've got something to fall back on that they've gone ultra positive. Whereas I think actually just trying to question his decision making, I think at times not not necessarily Go too technical with him, more I think around the decision-making and the tactical stuff and going, was that the right option? You, you're capable of that option, but are there any other options that you're capable of? And and, and just making him aware of the options he's got and then ultimately saying, just back yourself on which one you feel you want to go with.
0: Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like the patient side is quite an interesting one, I'd imagine, particularly when you're looking at the longer formats of the game yeah like it's it is a game of cat and mouse and it's okay. like okay we've got to have a level of patience to stick to a plan of what we're trying to do we know you've got these variations that you can use but also there's a plan within the team to try and get this individual we need you to st- to stick to that so how how do you utilize that the you know help the kids understand that younger age groups because I know that listen we all watch the t20s and the one Dayers, and we watch the ball going miles away Mm. going out the ground and stuff obviously you ideally are trying to prepare them for all formats of the game and trying to get them exposure to that so how do you get them to go from right this is a time to maybe try your variations and give that a go to the other point where you go listen this is patience we know that he's not playing outside off. We know that, you know, he's leaving it and leaving leaving it. But at some point, he's going to play. And, you know, if you've been patient with it, we are in chances of getting a nick of a far increase.
1: Yeah, so um, I think it's, it's it's difficult because I remember when I first started and we do trials for the age groups of new players coming in and so many of the batters would be scared of getting out, not play any shots. Whereas now we, we've just finished a, a, a batch of trials and all the players who come in, all the batters just want to hit the ball and hit, hit sixes. That so is this complete mindset change for young players now. Um, And I suppose we do a lot of, it, it's difficult in the training environment, especially now where we spend probably just as much time indoors in the winter than we do outside in the summer playing games. So, um, and you train in a completely different environment. You're in an indoor net on, on very hard surfaces. So it is a different game. But the, the challenge is, I suppose, is doing a lot of tactical stuff and you have to be a bit creative in the nets and training environments. Um, and wh- when you see players doing these variations, you, you, you I suppose you just go, is the thinking right behind what they're trying to do? Is is the field set for that kind of ball? Is Does it make sense for what they're trying to do and they've not executed it? Or is it a case of actually have they just got a bit bored and gone a bit rogue in, in their plans? So I think it's it's a balancing act and it's again knowing your individuals, it's it's assessing the game that's going on in front of you, um, and then having conversations quite quickly after, I suppose, to just go, look, this was what happened. What what was your rationale behind choosing to go with that variation or or that decision, and, and and if it makes sense, then you can go right. I, I get it, and maybe there was lower risk options, or you could have just executed it a little bit better. So I, I think it's taking the context of the situation that you're in into a lot of um focus as well. I would say. Don't know if I've answered that very well there.
0: No, you're all good. You're all good. Um, wh- one thing I call out from that you mentioned around the. Um, understanding like the moment in the game or scenario in the game how do you manage that as a coach so like do you have screens and stuff around the nets, or is it more of a like a vocal thing of going right you know we've got so-and-so bowling he's a left armor his field is currently you know six three leg side Mm -hmm. heavy looking at here here and here and are you like do you talk them through it or is there like a visual aspect to it as well
1: um. Yeah, we 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 don't have the the facilities to sort of have the screens around. We we have a few boards where we can draw draw imaginary fields because obviously you got in the nets you've got no real idea you've got a rough idea but you you got no guarantee on where the ball's gone how hard it's gone yeah. certain aspects like that. Um. So it does have to be very vocal, but a lot of it is you sort of excuse me set up the situation and say like this this is the context of the game what what are you thinking field wise um and then let them go off and do it and then pull it back and go right this is what's happened has it has it been successful now you've had a bit more time to think do you think that there's other alternative options um uh, and and you've got to try and allow the players to think independently because in in the end in the game, that's that's what they've got to do. And they've got to make a decision pretty quickly in terms of what they want to go with. And, and it hopefully allows you to work with the player to help them identify what their strengths are, what their, their weaknesses are. So if I'm working with a scene bowler and, and we're doing a bit of uh, death bowling, right, okay, you set your field for a Yorker, but then you've missed your Yorker three times on the bounce and it's a good place hitting them for six. Right, what you feel is kind of irrelevant. Then, what's what's your other alternatives? And then they come and bowl a slower ball, which is they execute really well. Right in that situation in a game, it might be better to build your game plan around your slower balls, and then use your Yorker a bit more as a surprise ball or a bouncer as a surprise ball, um, rather than go Yorker, which is higher risk but also higher reward. That
0: seems like a dis. Like, sorry, it seems like a disadvantage of England being like the only wet weather country. Oh, you guys yeah. have to go to nets, whereas like obviously in Australia, India, I know they have monsoon season and stuff, but, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the other, I joke all the time I say that if I would, wanted to be a professional at something, it would be golf or cricket because you get to go to sunny places and play in the sun. Yeah. Whereas like outside England, you get to go to India or, you know, Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa. Yeah. Is that not a really big disadvantage that we have in this country? The fact that you've got a large proportion of seasons, in net which actually I guess from an IQ perspective you're not actually able to really play constructive games where there's repercussions or natural consequences to a bad shot whereas in Australia they could go out and play and they're getting real life action of what a reverse sweep looks like with certain fields and stuff. Oh
1: yeah it's, it's, it is it's it's probably the biggest challenge I would say and, and, and something that I still don't think as far as I'm aware anyone's really cracked. Um, I think you, you can be creative in in certain training settings that you you create. Um, you can manipulate surfaces a little bit, but it still doesn't reflect um outdoor conditions. Um, and like says, the consequence we we can add the consequence of if you're out, you're out. Your net's done, sort of thing. But they know they can still come back and do it uh, um tomorrow and come and have a net as well. Um, just to I suppose to put that into context to, to finalize your point we went to the UAE um, in February for a tour um, and when we got out there the, the place we were sort of based there'd be games of cricket going from 10 o'clock in the morning to 2 o'clock in the morning they'd just play all day um, a variety of different games and, and talking to some of the other teams that, they've, that were out there the, the local teams their players are playing 300 games a year Whereas our lads are playing max 40, 50. And that's, if, if they're at a state school, then probably less than that because they'll get their fixtures with us, they'll get their club fixtures. But there is no real state school cricket available for them. Um, private schools get a lot, um, but certainly state school cricketers, they're, they're lucky if they get 30, 40 games of cricket, whereas they probably play cricket 150, 200 days of the year so it's 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 a small percentage of the amount of cricket they play is actually in in game environments because of the the climate that we're in and and even this season going back to 2015 the first four games were all, all rained off so you can have your fixture program in place but if you have a wet start to the year to summer so like we did this year then it it does provide its challenges as well
0: next question how have we produced so many good cricketers then because that that for me that seems completely counterintuitive by the way the fact that you've got all these other countries that are able to play so many games that like theoretically like you've mentioned there if there's a kid in the UAE or wherever that needs to practice death ball bowling they could go out and find you know one game in the morning one game in the afternoon and do that for a month straight and get loads of opportunities at it whereas over here we're getting stuff washed out or the like the best option if it isn't being washed out is to go into the nets where obviously the parameters of where you're hitting or whatever looks very different so how how have we produced so many capable
1: players um that's, it's, a, it's a very good question um i, I think there's, there's still it's probably not as much now but it's, it's still a very technical game in terms of your skill elements so you you can practice a lot of close skills I, I think a lot of coaches are going away from that a little bit more um because you they've they've seen players come from the subcontinent especially who who have just found ways of being successful with unique techniques um and they've realized that there's there's multiple ways to to be successful um but I think you can still get a lot of of the skill element done certainly with batting and, and, and bowling you can do a lot of that in the net but it's that game understanding that game awareness which is really really difficult to do and I, and I think that's on the on the coaches and the, and the challenges that they provide in their sessions to probably do it a little bit differently and, and rely on a bit of sort of decision making with an element of yes it might not be the we, we've sort of taken the outcome out of it a little bit in terms of, right, does that decision make sense to the ball that you've just bowled or or the bowler has just bowled at you? And you the outcome's a little bit out of it, but the skill of actually being able to hit the ball in that certain area, whether it be in the air or on the floor, you, you can do it and then just hope that the outcome, I suppose, looks after itself a little bit.
0: I mean, you'd need a multi-millionaire to do this, but I'd imagine, one, if you had a picture of a dome in, that would be ideal, over top. Or two, you know, like the golf simulators that you've got that allow you to be on courses. It seems like you almost need one of those that's like 360 degrees where you could stand with an iPad and move fielders into positions and it kind of calculates ball speed that's come off the bat or something like that. But again like it's such a disadvantage having to spend multi multi-million pounds to be able to replicate what a game is whereas you know that the UAE example I watched mm. some of Nasser saying where he goes out to India and Pakistan and he sees you know games and it looks chaotic there's games mm-hmm. over games over games but they're just the number of games that they're going to get and opportunities to face different techniques or different bowlers of different age groups is a it's a fascinating challenge that you guys have with that.
1: Yeah, it's it's even a little thing like like using bowling machines. So bowling machines have their have their purpose, but I, personally, I'm I'm not a big fan of them because you, you don't get any of the visual cues of a bowler. Um, so you, a lot of the the better players, because of the speed of the bowling, pick up roughly where the ball is going to go just before the ball's even been released by the visual cues of the bowler. with a bowling machine, that's been taken completely out of the equation. So they do have their purpose. But if you want to practice your batting and develop that skill, you've got to have, you can't go away on your own and practice that because you need physical bowlers to to be able to bowl at you to then gather them cues. So it is a real big challenge. Um, And I suppose highlights why our summer coaching is really, really important as well in terms of, lots of game-based um, sessions and and quite often, like we had a few sessions over the summer where I'd go on and we'd do some in, like inter-squad games and I'd go on and actually captain the game just so that they could see a little bit of why things would be going on so they get a good example because that's also the challenge is if they're not playing many games, they don't always get to see what good looks like and I'm not, I'm not supposed to blow my own trumpet with that, but I've got better understanding of the game tactically than some 14-year-olds. So actually they get to see what it looks like and then can go on and and hopefully replicate a few of the things. Because the issue as well is they watch a lot of games on telly, those who have Sky Sports, but they don't actually see the field positions a lot of the time because the camera is just focused on the back v ball um, element of the game.
0: Yeah, it's Like football, we we try and do that, but it's the element of contact in it, which like mm-hmm. is quite nice. To you obviously you don't have necessarily that that barrier. Whereas with us, it's kind of how how do you give the kids an opportunity to understand what good looks like or where they should be and why, mm-hmm. whilst also not you know. <laughs> you having physical contact with oh, a yeah. 12-year-old yeah. when you're playing, and I know at uh, B team level now, or under-21s, quite a lot of them are getting players at the end of their careers who are coming in as kind of player coach dual roles. Yeah. Um. So at Southampton, minute we have a lad called Uh Ollie Lancashire who's come in. He was at Southampton Academy, went away, played a load of league games. Has now come back, and that's quite commonplace. Where you know someone more towards the back end of their career, looking for a transition piece out, they come in and train with the boys every day to get them to understand like standards of doing stuff or why hmm. this is important or prehab, set examples, rehab, all of that type of stuff because. You need to be able to do that. But doing that with a 14, 15-year-old is way harder for a coach. You, you want to be able to go in as a centre-half and go, right, come on, yeah. you need to come round. But at the same time, you know, you'd like to think that you're, you'd win most aerial battles physically, you're going to be stronger <laughs> than them at least. And so you, you have that thing. So I think that's a really interesting dynamic. The fact that you have capacity to do that is, is definitely, I guess, one one positive. Yeah, so one one thing looping back probably about twenty five minutes ago, you, you mentioned around profiles of players and like profiles of where they are in the team or what their I guess what their role is for example. And this mm-hmm. is something that I learned on the A license that I did. They use it quite a lot in England football for set pieces. So they'll mm-hmm. say, are you a like, attacker, which is someone who I'm going to go and try and attack the ball? Are you a deliverer? Whatever that may be. How um, forthcoming are you with, I guess, branding those um, those roles and how position specific are they? So if, if you look at, for example, if you're in a test team, when you're, if you're going basketball, it mm-hmm. might be that you're way more attacking than if you go the other way when you had Jonathan Trott and Andrew Strauss or Alistair Cook and you're looking. Your job is to soak up as many balls as you can and get you as know. many runs at points so that they're knackered so that then when we bring attacking players in, they can then have got free reigns. That, as an opening batsman, is two very different profile of players. So, yeah, how... For you guys, how explicit are you with the profiles and how much is it related to, like, your match model, game model of what you guys want to see from a, a game basis?
1: Um, So, I suppose, too, but in, in regards to our game model and, and um, that element of it, that's been one of the challenges, I suppose, of the turnover of stuff, is that we've the person at the top changes and they have different ideas sometimes on how they want to play the game. So it's important for us i think to expose the players to different formats and allow them to sort of find their way a little bit but we've, we we'd focus a little bit more i suppose on the the processes rather than some of the outcomes so that that makes them a bit more adaptable to whatever the head coaches might want in the future um in regards to finding out about the players so one one of the challenges we have again with the finances and budgets not just with us, I think in, in terms of most of the counties around the country and that analysis is becoming very important at the top level, but it's still struggling to filter its way down to that sort of detail at the younger age groups and, and certainly in the pathway. Um, so like we we don't have an an uh, sorry an analyst um, in the pathway. We have one who goes up and does a bit with the second team but doesn't really touch on stuff um, in the academy. And I, I think it's really important stuff for us or really important things for us to try and gather so that we can have more information on these players. So I've tried to sort of come up with my own systems and and had a bit of a blank canvas with it, but also no budget. So using a lot of free models that are out there or trial models, as well as leaning on a couple of other people to then go into greater detail of what we know about the players in terms of their performances in games and both and in training as well. So breaking it down rather than just seeing the scorecard, which you get at the end of a game in terms of runs off how many balls, we we try and work out actually how do they do against the ball spinning away, the ball spinning in, do they have a high percentage of dot balls against different kinds of bowling? And then that kind of allows you to to dictate where players fit into roles Because if if you've got a player who's really strong at playing against spin probably suits going into the middle order a little bit more because they'll they'll face a lot more spin in that phase of the game where they'll bat. Whereas if you've got a batter who, uh, yes, he, he has a lot of dot balls, but bats a long period of time and is generally a bit better against Seam in terms of his performance output, then you'd go, they'd be more suited towards um, being an opening batter. So we can use that information to highlight strengths, but then also areas of development. So one of the bowlers that I've got, um well, I'm going to do quite a bit of work of this winter. he, His stats throughout the summer, when he bowled with the new ball, were really, really good. But when he bowled a little bit later in the innings, his his uh, number of dot balls and matter of runs, his economy rate went a lot higher and the number of wickets he took dropped a lot. So a big focus for him is going to be, can we enhances skills to bowl with an older ball where it's not necessarily swinging as much, can he still find a way of being effective? And then when it comes to the summer, against the, the stronger teams, he'll probably still open the bowling so that he's being challenged in his better area of, of bowling, I would say, against better batters. Then when we play some of the, the teams who aren't as strong, actually bowl more in the middle and give him a chance to develop them skills in, in game situations before then hopefully being able to push him to to try them skills against the better teams as well.
0: No, it's a, yeah, it's a really interesting piece and you said the analysis side of actually having those facts and figures and what what they look like from I guess a, a, a yeah, the like perspective of this is this is what we can see rather than just a, a narrative and stuff. Do you do you have um like names for your roles so would you have like a finisher that comes in at number seven or number five six seven would you have a a, yeah a finisher or is it just a case of actually we're just trying to provide them with a series of skills and we're going to move them up and down the order to allow them to develop those skills or utilize those skills or do you have like set boundaries of going right this player is a finisher this player is a early attacker this player is a you know a maneuverer who's going to come in and spin bowling and, and do that what yeah what does it look like in that space
1: um probably probably not as specific as that and that, and that's that's probably an area where we could get a bit better uh, certainly himself on that aspect because i think it's probably a bit more relevant as you get up to the older age groups and trying to if if our director of cricket is saying we need this kind of player right well we've got them to provide for you in in the Excuse me, in, in the first team environment, and then they've proven to be that finisher role in in academy cricket. Um, I suppose, yeah, we we can do so. For example, if we we play t twenty games, we, we'll try all, all. I suppose all the spinners will get some form of bowling in the power play because that is where the game is going, and then you get a bit better idea of right. They might be more suited to that period of the game, but it's. If if we just pigeon them hold pigeonhole them into one area too young, I think we limit where they can potentially go with players, especially in a sport like cricket. If you look at like two two of the modern greats, really of of batting, Steve Smith and Kevin Peterson, both came into professional cricket as spin bowlers initially, and then their batting skill has, has kicked on, and and you see a lot of late developers. Stuart Broad was saying Broad. Came through the academy at Leicester predominantly as a batter, and then has gone on to be one of England's most successful seam bowlers. So you, you do get them late developers, and I think that's why we try and keep it as broad as we can. For obviously there'll be specific focuses because some players, like you said, will be more suited to defensive style of batting, and some more suited to attacking style of batting. But give them different opportunities to to just see where they end up going, I suppose.
0: Now it makes complete sense. As you said, the 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 thing that fascinates me about cricket is that you can almost have players that just come out of nowhere, they hit a purple patch and almost go, oh, I belong here now, and yeah. just stick. Like, Labashain is a really good example of that. Now, I know he was at Glamorgan and he was doing relatively well but no one would have thought when Steve Smith went out of that ashes that Labashain coming in would have caused us as many problems as it did ultimately mm. he came in did really well and has ended up being a test player and probably will be for the next number of how many years because he's was in a purple patch of form has come across and done really well and it seems like you get like Graham Swan came into the England setup a bit later down the line and it, it is a really interesting thing in terms of more so than other sports you just seem to find players that find an environment or role that works for them they take off and then they're in they, yeah they've got a role and they're rolling with it
1: yeah but definitely and, and certainly i think you see it probably a little bit more in, in scene bowlers like our, our academy ends at 18 and then they have to, they have to go on and and hopefully sign a, a contract with the professional staff but there's lots of scene bowlers that I've seen over the years, whether it be in, in club cricket, university cricket, minor county cricket, who are reasonable bowlers. But then all of a sudden they get to sort of 21, 22, their body sort of settles into itself or they get a bit stronger. And all of a sudden they've put on 10 mile an hour and they're all of a sudden an elite style bowler because of just that physical development of where their body body has got into
0: uh, last question to me is you mentioned around giving players exposure during power plays or whatever that may look like. With the younger ones, how scripted is it to what players are coming on where during um, bowling or batting or fielding placements or how much is it up to the whim of the captain with a little bit of help of you guys? Because, again, at the top level, it's like a game of chess, and They're moving yeah. players to try and get them somewhere else. You mentioned earlier around, you know, sometimes the captain's know what good look like. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't. There's obviously going to be some um output that you guys want from a technical delivery standpoint that you want players to experience. But then, obviously, you also want your captain to be able to react to what's happening in the game to then make decisions. So, yeah, how much of it is scripted of you going right overs one to ten is going to be these players over thing, and then there's going to be a period where you can do what you want, or how much is it going right? He's going to start there, but then it's down to the captain to figure out what n- next looks like.
1: Um. So I suppose it goes twofold that we, we have a rough style of how how we want to play our our cricket. Um. So. Players know if they're going into certain roles, so if they're going into batting the power play, they've got a rough idea of how we want them to to play in terms of, right, that's a a period of the game where there's only two men out on the boundary. It's 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 a real area you can target. That aspect, so actually, can you work on hitting gaps on the inner infield? So even if they haven't got the power yet to hit the boundaries, can they still get it through the infield and get twos and threes? that's still promoting the style of play that we want without necessarily having the same same results on that. Um, in terms of scripting it, th- there'll be times where there's certain players, like I said, um, with the bowler earlier, where we'll go, look, I don't want him to open the bowl and I don't mind captain-wise who who else opens the bowl in. I'll let you choose that. Um, and we also encourage a lot of the bowlers to sort of take responsibility for their own fields so that it Increases their cricket IQ hopefully and their tactical understanding, but ultimately they're the ones who are deciding what ball they're going to bowl. So, captain may set a field, but it might be for a completely different ball that the bowler is thinking of bowling. So, we try and put a bit of emphasis on the bowler as well to work with the captain around. This is the sort of field that we want, and and at times we'll be we'll be sat on the sidelines tearing a hair out with some of the fields that the boys set. Um, and and they'll create new positions that no one's ever seen before. But it's just, you, I think you've got to let them crack on with it a bit. And and it's also funny how many times they make you look look stupid and that you go, why on earth have they set this field? And then a catch goes to one of the fielders that you're saying shouldn't be in that position. It's just the way it is. And that that's then the challenge because you go, and that field has worked there, but 95% of the time it's not going to work. So actually... Do we bring it back? So we're looking away with, with the cricket that we play at Cairns Cricket is that we play 12 a side. So a lot of the times you can, bowler finishes bowling, you can bring him off and then have a quick sort of review of the, the field settings he's, he's put in place or even have the captain offer an, an over just to go, look, what what are you thinking? And, and sort of let them lead what the thinking is behind the decisions you're making and then go, well, yeah, I can see it. What have you thought about this? Or or try and get them to come up with a solution still by themselves. So um, without, like you said, over-coaching or, or being too directive with it because otherwise you, they become reliant on you as well. So it is a balancing act. Um, But I think it's trying to let the boys make mistakes and then... I mean, the, the best way for them to learn is if they set a terrible field and keep getting hit for runs, they'll, they'll learn. That way that it's it's not the right field for it to for them to set.
0: No, I really like that. And it's something just listening to you talk there. It's like, how can you actually do that in in football? What what mm. ways have we got to allow players to understand the game? Because we talk about game understanding and stuff and repercussions of what other people's movements are or, or whatnot. I think that's a really nice natural consequence where, as you mentioned, if they set a bit of a booky field, the natural mm-hmm. consequences, you're going to get hit for some runs potentially. Um, and ultimately, as we said at the start of this, captains are so important. How, yeah. can we, how can we upskill them so they're prepared for what next looks like? And yeah, that's going to be one of my reflections of this podcast is actually how can you utilise that type of dynamic to allow the players to understands, you know, the whole group and their role in the group and being a jigsaw piece and, and whatnot. Um I
1: think I think it's a little bit easier in cricket because the game is a bit more stop start, I would I would say there are there are natural breaks in play, there's drinks breaks and, and periods there also in between overs where uh, Hopefully, some of, even if the captain and the bowl have not quite got something right in, in all the information we've given boys in our training sessions, there might be another player who goes, oh, have we just thought about this? Because there's a natural break in play when they're, they're swapping ends. And that can sometimes lead to the desired outcome without you having to get involved. Um, and that's ideally what you want. And that's where you, you develop. Again, if you're developing all these players of so captaincy, I, I'll rotate it around with a lot of my teams because... Yes, they might have a two or three game period where they they are captain, but actually it's important for various different people to have exposure to that for their personal development, but also their tactical development as well, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking about, I guess, the easy win is someone with the subs who can observe from the sideline, but there there must be a way. That's going to be my go-to. There must be a way to do it more constructively where people analyse and then it'll help them analyse within the game as well. Um, I'm conscious of time. So one last question for me, which is if I were to speak to any of the uh, players that you work with or any of the staff members you work alongside, how would you hope they described you in three words and why? Oh, three words. Um, can I have four?
1: Four. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there for it. <laughs> Hard-working, good guy, I think, would be the, the thing. I think, hopefully, I a big part of my coaching philosophy would be building relationships with the players and and, and knowing that I've got their best interests at heart and, and want them to develop as best as they can as, as players and as people. So I think that's a real big part of my... Philosophy and the way I sort of live life in general, just be try and be a good guy and work pretty hard at perfecting my craft as best as I can.
0: Nice, I think yeah, really good one to have. I think it's it's good it's good to be a good guy. Nice to be nice. (laughs) So yeah, from that perspective, I think that makes complete sense. And listen, amazing conversation pretty much none of the stuff we discussed yesterday that might come out has come out of this (laughs) but a really good insight into what you do and some of the challenges that you know you you face compared to football compared to some other sports so yeah really appreciate your time and uh, we'll definitely stay in contact and maybe do another one of these further down the road
1: no thank you very much for having me and and hopefully it has has been valuable or at least I've offered some sort of value to the uh, to the podcast perfect
0: appreciate your time Dave catch you soon
1: Cheers, thank
0: you. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative Podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative Podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.